Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Well, I was a little concerned that if I came and told you to avoid strife by not getting married and by avoiding all contact with all people, even though that probably would work, I figured that you might think that was a little bit extreme. So I decided instead we were going to look in the Word of God and we're going to find a better answer than just simply avoiding people. So we're going to look at God's answer. We're going to look at it in two parts. Now this is one Bible study you're almost going to have to hear the second half because that's when we're going to give the answers. But this week we're going to look at what strife is. So I especially want us to become aware of some of those subtle ways. And then I want us to see what strife causes those three things. And then next week, part two, we're going to find out what the root of strife is. It has a root. And we're also going to find out how to get rid of it. So next week's going to be very important. Now, anyone who operates in strife is giving Satan access to his health. He's giving Satan access to his business. If he has a business, he's giving him access to his finances, to his family, to every single area of his life. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, but it's true. Now, the Word of God says that we're to come boldly into the throne room of God to receive grace and mercy for the things that we need. Well, that's a powerful invitation, and we read that and we get so excited. But if we're in strife, we're not going to be able to come boldly into the throne room. See, we can't get there in faith to even receive the grace and the mercy if we're operating in strife. Now, a lot of people, they don't do anything about strife in their life because they don't recognize it. It's just become a way of life, and they really don't even realize it's there. It's kind of like an old coat that you wear that you've gotten used to. You've gotten comfortable with it. Well, I want you to turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. James 3, 13. Now, this is going to be our basic foundational scripture. You're familiar with it, but you need to mark it in your Bible and do a little bit of writing out in the margin. Now, this needs to be a scripture that we refer back to often because this scripture helps it to become a reality to us what strife is and what strife can do to our life. So in verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Okay, now notice that word gentleness. That's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And James is saying, if you're wise, then by the Holy Spirit, by the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to begin to show. And in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy, if you have selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Now, if you have a New American standard, if you'll look out in the margin of the Bible, it's going to say strife in place of selfish ambition. Now, the same Greek word that's translated selfish ambition also means strife. So it says, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, or strife in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. Okay, this wisdom, what wisdom is he talking about? Okay, he's referring to an earthly wisdom. He's talking about the bitter jealousies. He's talking about the selfish ambitions. He's talking about strife. He's talking about earthly thinking. And he says this kind of wisdom does not come from above. 
And we know that because we know that every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father. So this strife now, it's not from God. If you'll read on there in verse 15, it says that it's earthly. It says that it's natural. In other words, it's of the old Adamic nature. And then he says it's demonic. So not only is strife not coming from God, we find that it's Satan's tool. It's demonic. In verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now, since that word also means strife, I'm going to read it with the word strife there. For where strife exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. Okay, now this is probably one of the strongest statements in the Bible made about any condition. First, it says that there's disorder. Now, disorder is just another word for confusion. So immediately then, we know that God's not in it. God's not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. He's not a God of strife. And then it says, if strife's there, there's going to be disorder and every evil thing. Circle that word, every. It doesn't say that if strife's there, there's going to be some evil things involved. It says there's going to be every evil thing. See, if strife is present... The door is open to every bad thing that comes along, every evil thing that comes along. Now, most other sins will often open the door to a particular consequence. For example, if you're operating in control, well, you'll most often find that that at some point is going to foster rebellion because control and rebellion, rebellion just follows control. If you're operating in bitterness, you're going to find many times that'll open the door to some kind of physical illness. If you operate in hurt for a long period of time, it'll usually open the door to rejection. See, the outcome of many of the sins that we can name is predictable, but the outcome of strife is very unpredictable. It's an open door to any and all evil works. Therefore, we can't even predict the consequences that will come as a result of having strife working in our life. It's an open door to any and all evil. For example, when a person has arthritis, well, we can at least say to that person, we'll just check and see if there's any bitterness or if there's any unforgiveness because we know that sometimes arthritis comes as a result of bitterness. But that's why strife is so deadly because you can't pinpoint the results of what's going to come as a result of strife. That's why people will tend to overlook strife in their life and they'll tend to tolerate it. But this one verse here in James 3 verse 16 should cause us to never look at strife as tolerable again in our life. Now, if I came to you and if I said, I want to give you something that's going to bring confusion and disorder to your life, and it's going to bring every evil known to man, every evil known to man may come as a result of this thing that I'm giving you, boy, you'd run backwards. (laughs) I couldn't catch you fast enough. But that's exactly what we're saying when we say strife. See, we've been blinded to the extent of the damage that strife can do. And that's why we've put up with it. You know, so many people are doing so many things right. They're giving to the poor and they're helping people and they're tithing and they're praying and witnessing. They're doing all the things they know to do, but then they're wondering why they're having problems continually in a certain area of their life. And a lot of times when they start looking, they'll find that there's some subtle strife that's been there, and it's keeping the door open to the enemy. Did you know that poverty is an evil work? It says every evil work will come as a result of strife. Poverty is an evil work. 
And so often it's strife that opens the door to poverty. See, strife stifles creativity because it keeps a person focusing in on the disharmony so that our mind becomes cluttered and our mind is not clear to be creative. Now, the Bible says that strife brings in confusion and disorder. And when our mind is all confused and preoccupied, then the creative juices just don't flow. See, strife can stifle opportunities of prosperity. Job opportunities are lost many times because people just don't want to put up with the harassment of the disharmony that they sense around certain people so they don't get that job. Therefore, poverty is often an evil work that comes as a result of strife and disharmony. Jack worked at different companies, and I watched many times through the years, and I would see men who would miss job promotions simply because of their marital situation at home. They were so preoccupied and so distracted that no one wanted to promote them. They felt like they wouldn't do a good job. See, that strife at home stifled their creativity and stifled their opportunity. Now, sickness is another evil work. Every one of you could give examples of people who are battling some kind of sickness simply because they live in a stressful situation. Broken relationships are evil works. Growing up, I spent a lot of time in San Saba with my grandparents, and I observed a situation that was a classic case of a broken relationship that came through the door of strife. Now, the mother was real high-strung and and bossy, and they had two children. The father never took his place as the spiritual head of the home, and so she tried to fill that position, and she became very frustrated, as anyone would who's outside of God's order. And... The world would have looked at the situation and the world wouldn't have considered it that terrible. There were no physical fights. There was no physical abuse. There was nothing that would have made the headlines of the paper. But there was just a constant undercurrent of strife all the time. There was a lot of hollering that went on at the kids. There was a lot of nagging. But there wasn't anything bizarre. There wasn't anything that the world would have stopped and looked at. But every bit of it amounted to strife every day, and it opened the door to a broken relationship. One of the children had the type of personality that he just kind of teased his mother until he got what he wanted. But the other child was very sensitive, and every time that strife went on, every day he took it personally. And he became hurt and insecure and full of rejection. And finally, he married and moved up north. And to my knowledge, I don't know that he ever came back home. And I thought all that came through the door of strife. Broken relationships are evil works, and they can and often do come as a result of strife. Now, another evil work that sometimes comes through the door of strife is the inheritance that we pass down to our children. Sometimes we don't think about that. But in a home atmosphere, if there's strife, then parents don't realize that what they're doing, they're teaching their children how to respond to life in a negative way. See, they're instilling attitudes in their children without even realizing that that's what they're doing. Now, if strife is running rampant in a home, then that child is more than likely going to start responding in a similar way. Now, that's probably one of the reasons why Ephesians 4, verse 6 instructs the fathers not to discipline their children in a way that's just going to provoke them to anger. 
Sometimes a person will just give them a, a spanking, and instead of spanking them until the will is broken, they'll just spank them just enough to make them angry. And so they provoke them to anger. Now, it's how we perceive everything that determines what our attitude is going to be. And we teach our children and our grandchildren how to perceive things. Many times they'll start perceiving things in the same way that we perceive it. For instance, one family might perceive things with such a calm trust in God that no matter what comes along, they're not going to get in strife, they're not going to get in disharmony because they know that God's going to see them through. And so no matter what the circumstances, they're just trusting God and they're encouraging one another and they're saying, okay, we're going to make it through this, everything's going to be okay. While another family in similar circumstances might be prone to just lashing out at one another, justifying themselves, passing the buck and blaming everybody else for what's going on, or maybe just ranting and raving about how bad the circumstances are. And children growing up in these two environments will most likely adopt the attitude of his particular home. And the one raised in strife will never know that he's different. He won't realize that he's different from anyone else because it's just become a way of life. It's something that he became accustomed to while he was growing up. And so no wonder he says, well, that's just the way I am because that's all he's ever known. He's never known anything else. But it's still strife and it will still cause problems until it's gotten rid of. Now what we put forth in our homes will either start our children out either operating in the blessings, in the peace of God, or else it's going to start them out in life operating in the curse. And we have a choice as parents. And the scary thing is that anything the devil wants to throw at them has access when they're operating in strife. So if that's what they've been taught and they meet circumstances in life with strife and disharmony, then that's all they've known and the devil has an open door. And many times they don't even know why. Okay, number one, being a customer used to strife is one reason for not realizing it's there, for not getting rid of it. Another reason that a lot of people don't recognize strife is because they fail to recognize it in some of its more subtle forms. It's become a very subtle guest in a lot of homes. Now, I looked up the word strife in Webster's Dictionary, and the first two words that were given was conflict and quarreling. Now, we recognize those as strife. But the third thing listed was discord. Now, this is one that throws a lot of people. So what is discord? Well, I looked that up, and it just simply means lack of harmony. Now, that takes in a whole new element. Have you ever listened to an orchestra, and the music was just absolutely beautiful, but then suddenly one little violin hit a sour note? And it may have been a 100-piece orchestra with 99 instruments all playing beautifully in harmony, but that one little violin can throw the whole performance out of kilter and the production is ruined. Well, it's as simple as that illustration. That's what strife does. That's what disharmony does. If we're not in harmony, then we're in strife. Now, I'm not saying that we always have to agree on everything to stay out of strife. That's not what I'm saying. See, some people disagree and they do it in strife, but others have learned to disagree, but there's no strife involved. It doesn't upset the harmony in the home. Let me give you some examples of strife when you disagree. Anytime that there's disagreement and there's strife involved, 
Some people will use real harsh words or maybe they'll just use a harsh tone to let everybody else in the room know that they're in disagreement. Or maybe they'll just be real curt with their answer, real short. Or sometimes they'll just have an attitude of irritability. Or maybe they just don't answer at all. They ignore the fact that they've even been addressed. Well, all of those are strife builders. And the person that's doing that, they're wanting to put the point across that they're in disagreement, but they're disagreeing in strife. And the sad part is if they continue that, the time will come that it'll become a habit and they won't even realize they're doing it. And yet in another home, they've learned to allow one another to have a different opinion and even to express their opinion, and they just agree to disagree. They've learned to disagree without being disagreeable. See, what we've done, we've stereotyped strife, and we recognize it when it comes in the form to which we're accustomed. When it's open conflict, or maybe when it's just quarreling, outbursts of anger. And I guess we'd do well if we just took care of those overt ways of expressing strife. But God's wanting us to look at the subtle ways, too. He's wanting us to get rid of every bit of it out of our life. Because the enemy never overlooks an opportunity. And whether it's subtle strife or whether it's obvious strife, the enemy's going to come through that doorway. Now, pouting is a form of strife. Many times we don't think about the fact that when we sit around and pout, we're fostering strife. And it definitely causes disharmony in the situation. Sulking is another form of strife. When somebody's moody, we have a tendency to say, oh, just ignore them. They're in one of their moods again. Well, see, we might as well call it what it is. It's strife. And whether we like to admit it or not, those subtle areas of strife can cause just as much disharmony as the ones who just blow up, sometimes even more, because so often it lasts longer. The guy that, or the woman that blows up, pretty soon it's over with. But that person that pouts, they can pout sometime for days and days, and it keeps that strife and that disharmony going. There may be someone who's in a seemingly great mood, all the time, happy all the time, but is immovable as far as having to always have their way. If somebody in the home has to have their way and they won't move, they can act happy and be as cheerful as they want to be, but they're causing disharmony in the home. Manipulation is another form of subtle strife. And children as well as adults learn how to operate in this area of strife. And sometimes without even realizing it, sometimes they slip into it and it just becomes a habit. You've seen marriage partners who hold back privileges from one another. Or sometimes they hold back their emotional support in order to get their way. And the frustration and the hurt and sometimes the bitterness that comes as a result of that is an area of strife. You've seen children who've learned early on how to use their behavior as a leverage. And there's no peace at all when that happens. And sometimes we've operated on both ends of the spectrum. And either end, it's no fun. Sometimes we've been on the end where maybe we've pouted or we've manipulated and we've hurt things in the home and we've caused strife. And sometimes we've been on the other end where we've had other members in the family that have operated in some of these subtle forms of strife. And both ends, it's not pleasant because there's no peace involved. Now, everyone thinks of the person who nags and fusses as the one causing the strife. But sometimes that's the subtle trick of the enemy to throw you off and to keep you from recognizing and dealing with the real source of strife. 
See, there's many times when the one making the least amount of obvious commotion can be the biggest source of strife. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. But so many times it can be the one who's making the least amount of obvious commotion that's really the one that's causing the strife. When a husband or a wife or a child or a teenager, it doesn't matter, when they're failing to do that which they're supposed to be doing, when they're failing to carry out their part of the family responsibility, then that one is causing strife. A husband can be bringing home the paycheck, be bringing home the money, covering all the financial needs of the home, but maybe he's not emotionally giving any support, or maybe physically he's not carrying his share of the load, or maybe spiritually he's not fulfilling his spiritual responsibility, or maybe he's not loving his wife or treating her with respect. Even though he may be quietly just minding his own business, he may be just watching TV or doing whatever without ever making a fuss, but he's still the source of strife because of his failure to perform his obligations. Or on the other hand, sometimes it can be the wife. Sometimes it's the wife that's not appreciating her husband or she's not respecting him as the head of the home and she's controlling, or she's trying to do things her own way, and she's going a different direction. If that's the case, then she's the one that's causing the strife in the home. The one making the fuss always looks like the strife maker, but in reality, many times the biggest source of strife is the offender, no matter how quiet they appear to be. Now, it can go either way. It can be husband, wife. It can be teenagers in the home. It can be children. You know, I've seen mates who made subtle little cuts or subtle little digs either to their partner or about their partner. And even when it's done under the disguise of humor, it just keeps an undercurrent of strife. It just keeps that undercurrent of disharmony flowing in their relationship. Some mates think that a little dig is an okay way to tell their spouse what he or she is doing wrong without having to openly address the issue. But see, that's disrespectful, and it brings hurt, and it brings rejection, and it brings strife into the home. Okay, let me give you another example. A member of the family who goes in slow motion, and I think every family has had that at one time or another, But that member just goes in slow motion, causes the rest of the family to feel frustrated because they're always having to wait on that member. They're always being made to be late because that person's just going in slow motion, just going along. And they may be minding their own business. They may not even be saying a word. But remember, strife is not necessarily synonymous with noise. Anytime someone is infringing on somebody else's rights, and something they're doing or something that they're failing to do, then that's strife. That's what it is. Now, I'm not trying to make this a comprehensive study on every form of strife. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm simply wanting us to become aware of how deadly it is to our well-being. And I'm wanting us to see that there are some real subtle ways in which strife can come in that maybe we've not even thought about but we've got to recognize it before we'll ever make the decision that we want rid of it. Now, I'm going to name one other category of subtle strife because it comes in such a deceptive form. Anytime we get out of the peace of God, anytime we get anxious and we get uptight and fearful, or maybe we decide that we're going to make something happen by the arm of flesh, 
Or maybe we get all worried and get into anxiety. Now, the world has named that condition correctly. The world calls it striving. That's exactly what it is. And striving sometimes can look godly because we're trying so hard. It looks like we're just trying to do it so right. But see, that's just it. We're trying. When we're striving, we're trying. We're not trusting. And it's a form of strife, and it's fleshly. We're doing it by the arm of flesh, and it causes disharmony. Now, strife kills. It's the opposite of peace. Now, we live with destructive things, and because we think we get by with it, we know we think it doesn't hurt. But whatever is not of peace is having its toll not only on the person themselves, but it's having its toll on the family. Strife, discard, disharmony. See, these are not godly attributes, and the destruction will eventually show up. You can't ignore strife in your life. You can't put up with it and pretend it's not there without eventually having a day of reckoning. That day of reckoning is going to come. And we're not going to prosper God's way as long as we're operating in those areas. Now, some people have learned how to use strife and disharmony in the world in a way just to get what they want. A lot of people do it on purpose. I've told this story before in another Bible study, but of the man that he used that strife to always get what he wanted. He had a business, and he kept his employees doing exactly what he wanted them to do simply because they knew if they didn't do it exactly right, he was going to blow up. And he kept his kids minding out of the fear of his explosive reaction. And he kept his wife from ever crossing him, ever saying a word simply because she was so intimidated by this behavior. And so he had learned how to use that strife and contention to get what he wanted. And he felt good about it. He had bragged about it before. But you know what? Proverbs calls that person a fool. So evidently, it wasn't something that he was getting by with. He just thought he was. Now, most people can think of times when some clerk maybe didn't fill your order correctly or maybe some secretary on the phone didn't put your call through, and it was real easy to just tell that person off and put them in their place. And the world says, well, they deserved it. They weren't doing what they were supposed to. You can't let people run over you. Well, there is a fine line. And some people do let people stomp on them and they just roll over and play dead because they're fearful of confrontation. But there's a difference between using worldly strife just to get what we want. There's a difference between that and having the firm assurance of what's right that lets you stand your ground in just gentle confidence. See, there's times when you do just stand your ground in gentle confidence and you don't allow yourself to be run over. Godly confidence is immovable, but it's characterized by gentleness. Just exactly like it says over there in the book of James. And that's how you can judge yourself. The Bible tells us that we're to judge ourselves. And we need just to ask ourselves, is my steadfast stand, is it characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Am I being led by the Spirit, or am I just using that for an excuse to get what I want? Now, the world comes on strong. The world will change their tone. They'll sound gruff. They'll get their voice in this high-pitched tone. They'll get an ugly, stern look on their face. They'll use anger. They'll use put-downs. And they do that to intimidate people to get their way, to keep everything going the direction they want it to go. And that's strife. And those methods will become habits that open the door to confusion and the Bible says every evil work. 
Now, I realize that we're living in a world of frustration, and I know that there's going to be times when we have disharmony in any home because we're not perfect yet. But today, I'm just simply wanting us to look at some of those areas where we've allowed subtle strife to become a way of life. And we've done it so long that we've become comfortable with it, and we don't even notice it. See, if you can find the source of your strife, you can stop it. And I don't intend for you to point to your mate right now and say, oh, I found the source of my strife. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to make this a very personal evaluation. I want you to determine that you are absolutely not going to allow yourself to be the cause of strife ever again. You know, I mean, of course, we're going to fall into it at times, and that's when we have to repent and get up and go again. But if we'll stop it on our end, if we determine that we're going to stop strife on our end and stop those little subtle ways in which we operate in strife, God will take care of it on the other end. See, it's very easy to get complacent and decide, oh, that's just the way I am. I don't mean anything by it. Our family's just high-strung, but we understand each other. See, that kind of attitude is going to keep us dealing with it, just keep us living with it. But all the justification in the world doesn't make strife harmless. It's sin. It's deadly. If you had a rattlesnake that lived under your bed and it was all coiled up in a dark place out of sight, you wouldn't put up with that. No matter how much you were told that that snake's not going to come out and he's not going to do you any harm. You'd live in the fear that sooner or later that rattlesnake was going to come out and it was going to cause you problems. And you wouldn't live under the pressure of of wondering who and when a person was going to be bit. But yet, we live with something that's a lot more deadly than a rattlesnake. And that's strife. And we don't think that much about it. Now, strife is abnormal. It may be normal in the world, but it's abnormal according to the Word of God. And when God tells a man that he is to love his wife as he loves his own flesh, when the Bible tells the wife that she's to respect her husband and to honor him, when the Bible tells children that they're to honor their parents, then we're going to find out that strife has no part in that kind of agape love, in the kind of respect that God's talking about, and in that kind of honor. God wants us to get our eyes open. He wants us to look for those areas of disharmony and look and find the places where it has become a way of life to the point that we don't even recognize it, where we've learned to just live with it. And you may say, well, it's not my fault what's going on in my home. There's strife in my home, but I don't have anything to do with it. Well, bring it out in the open. If the strife and the disharmony is coming from a child, then it's time to sit the child down and show him in the Word of God what strife can bring. Show him in the Word of God what's going to happen in their life if it continues. And then begin to show them by example the peace that's in your life. And then if it continues, it's time for discipline. That should be disciplined and taken care of more than almost anything else that I can name to you. However, if it's a mate then we still need to take the Word of God and sit down and do the same thing. Show in the Word of God the danger and the danger signals. And then just simply begin to administer the God kind of love that never fails. And the calm, quiet peace that only comes through a close, close relationship with the Lord. See, God will give us the grace not to react to another person's area of discard and where evil abounds, the grace of God's in greater abundance. So he'll give us the grace and it will eventually drive out the strife. Now, maybe not overnight, 
But love and peace administered steadfastly, God's way will work because God's watching over his word and he will perform it. Now, evil is overcome by good, not vice versa. And many times we're always thinking that the evil is going to overcome everything we're trying to do that's good. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we'll do it God's way, the good will eventually overcome the evil. Now, that's why Satan tries so hard to keep family members responding in anger and responding in rudeness because he knows that any evil he can send can be overcome by good. And if he can keep us responding in evil, then he has it made. So we need to begin to see strife as a demonic attack. James 3 says it's demonic. You can circle it right there in verse 15. He says it's demonic. And our fight's not against flesh and blood, even though the attack might be coming through a flesh and blood person. But be in tune to the Holy Spirit. Look past the person through whom the strife is coming and just start using the weapons of your warfare. I'm not talking about maybe to that person's face, but get in your prayer closet. Take authority in the spiritual realm and fight your battles there instead of fighting that strife in the natural because we'll never handle it in the natural. And God's wanting us to diligently apply every godly principle, but we can apply those godly principles and we can do everything exactly right. But no matter how many people we lead to the Lord, no matter how many of these principles we incorporate, no matter how much we're preaching and teaching the Word of God, if we continue to grumble and complain and argue and criticize and nag or put down or operate in any of these other subtle ways, then we're going to find out that things are never going to go smoothly. We're never going to have it like God would have it in our life. Now, I'm just going to give you some homework. I want you to go home this week, and I want you to spend some time before the Lord and just ask the Lord to show you if there happens to be some subtle areas in your life where you're operating in strife, where you're fostering strife and you're keeping it going in your home. And then next week, we're going to go into part two and we're going to look at the root of strife. When you find out what the root is, then it's going to help you to want rid of it and then we're going to find out how to overcome it. Father, thank you that you show us and warn us in the word against things that can do damage not only to us as an individual but also to our families. And Father, then it even goes past that because it's so contagious that so many times strife moves into a whole family and then it moves into a church and has even caused church splits and everything else. So, Father, I know that you're wanting us in these last days when we have so much work to be done, you're wanting us to be able to pull together in harmony and in unity to accomplish the work. And so, Father, I thank you that you've shown us in the Word what it'll do. I thank you, Father, that you've shown us the answer. We don't have to just stay in that area, but Father, I thank you that with your help, Lord, we can step out of it and go on to receive everything that you have for us. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.